All right, it says we are live. I see the live chat. We've got, how many people we got in here? Didn't, didn't refresh for me, but welcome back to Everything EOS, the longest running EOS podcast. I am here today with a group of EOS IO legends. I don't think a single one of you guys need an introduction. None of you guys are first time guests here. Uh, if anyone watching, if you're an EOS IO or EOS newbie, uh, just Google any one of their names. You'll you'll see a pile of experience. I'm here with Bart Wyatt, the VP of Engineering at Block One, Tal Muscal, the CTO at Liquid Apps, Ramon Benlish, the founder of Blockstart and managing partner of Blocks uh, Blockstart Ventures, Syed Jaffrey, the founder of Blocks.io, the VP of Blockchain at Proton. He's also the winner of the $200,000 EOS IO challenge last year for building the Ethereum virtual machine running inside an EOS IO smart contract. Uh, thank you all so much uh, for joining me today. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Um, so I'm really excited about today's call. It's an honor to share the screen and stage with you guys. Um, you guys are all so accomplished. I, I feel like uh, I, I almost just want to be a fly on the wall today and listen to all of the uh, conversation that happens, but l let's kick this off. This is the question that's been on everyone's mind. It was the I, it was the number one question people were poking me about to ask you, Bart. And I think you knew this one was coming. Uh, but I know it's on everyone's mind, and I wouldn't be my, doing my job if I didn't ask it. But two weeks ago, Dan Larimer, CTO of Block One, co-founder of Block One, put in his reg resignation. Uh, what are you able to share with us today about the company's reaction when the news came out on a Saturday night at like midnight? Uh, and does it impact any of the plans for EOSIO or any of the other internal products? What are you able to share with us about that today? Yeah, I think we should, uh, we should get this 800 pound drill out of the way so we can talk about uh, more fun stuff. Uh, I can't really share much about the uh, the company reaction, but I can speak to the ESI uh, ESIO side of it, and also to the personal side of it. Um, you know, I, I've been able to I've had the privilege of working with Dan for about four years now. Um, it's just shy of that uh, our total relationship, and it's been really amazing to work with him. I think um, everyone on this call, our lives have certainly been touched by Dan, and so I do want to say um, I wish him the best in whatever's coming next for him, and I can't wait to see. Uh, you know what that is, and I will. I'll be on the sidelines with everyone else, finding out what that is coming from Dan, uh, basically at the same time. But I'm excited to see it. Um, as far as impacts on EOSIO and as a result EOS, um, I think it's. Some, I think what I can say is we've we've already been kind of moving into a different mode of operation for our EOSIO product, um, and you might have noticed these effects over the past year and a half or so we had started to move from the kind of seat of our pants development style that launched the chain and was very appropriate during those early days when things had to move really fast and we had to address problems into something that's like a little more considerate. It's actually a, like a legitimate uh, software product life cycle. And with that, we farm a lot of our like inspiration and a lot of our um, innovation goals from the community. And so over the past year, you've seen, You've seen us form working groups with the community. You've seen us reach out more to the community. I think our our presence as a team has been going up in the community. So, um, you know, we didn't really know this was coming a year and a half ago, uh, but serendipitously, we had already kind of set in motion uh, the process by which, uh, for the most part, EOSIO is not going to really skip a beat. And I think there's still 
a really bright future ahead of USIO. Lots of really interesting work to do uh, that will certainly affect uh, the mainnet and any other USIO-based chains. And I'm really excited to see that. And we still very much have a team that inspires me every day to work on that. And, uh, you know, I think we've got all the, all the, all the uh, experience and all the intelligence in the community to still move forward at that, at that pace that everyone's come to expect. So, um, you know, like I said, I wish, I wish Dan the best. I'm excited to see what comes next. I think, um, you know, I think we're, I think we're good with EOSIO and EOS though. I think we're still going to, we're still going to move forward. And I think everyone's still going to be, you know, kind of happy with the progress and the change into this more of a, you know, legitimate product life cycle. I can't hear you, Zach. Yeah, Zach, I think Oops. we lost your audio. <laughs> yeah, there I, you go. I'm sorry about that. Uh, thanks for that response. Uh, you did address the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and it's something that everyone's been talking about since it happened, a lot of speculation. As a matter of fact, Bart, you have a prediction market of you becoming a CTO at Block One, and every single person on this panel has been speculated on by the community, whether that's realistic or not. I, I don't really see it as being realistic, but people have said like, this guy should be CTO, that guy should be CTO, that guy should be CTO. So I'm gonna run through this panel here and let, let's put out a hypothetical. I'll start with you, Syed. If you were in charge of EOS IO development, the roadmap of it, uh, Brendan Bloomers addressed this on Twitter. He said that there will probably be multiple CTOs for each individual product. So let's assume EOS IO is a product in itself. If you were the CTO of Block One, or not Block One, of EOSIO, or Block One, how would you, uh, what would your first um, suggestions be on how you could increase developer support, developer engagement, increase adoption for EOSIO? Yeah, so I mean, um, I, I, have a, I have a bunch of suggestions. I, I, um, I always throw them out in the developer chat or um, on Twitter, but I think, I think one of the first things we need to do is uh, bring EOSIO out of the caveman era um, with the caveman uh, debugging that we have going on um, in EOSIO. Um, beyond that, EOSIO needs, I think, um, I think one of, one of the big problems that I've been hearing from developers about EOSIO is the, um, is how we need to make it more composable. So the architecture of EOSIO is not very, it's not very composable. I mean, for any of the developers knowing they would know it's more like async um, action calling in the uh, system instead of uh, synchronous calling. And I think this was a design choice made by Block One early on. I'm sure Bart could go uh, in on that more. But uh, at the same time, it stops some of the really cool synchronous composability that we see on other chains like Ethereum. Um, so I think if I, if I was CTO, I think those two, those two would be my biggest uh, priority. Um, and beyond that, I think general, there's a lot of like dev tooling that could really, um, that could really be crucial, you know, like even something as simple as I know block one funded EO studio, but I think that almost needs to be like a core product of block one of allowing online compilation of contracts 
online IDE just fully hosted um, that runs immediately for developers so people don't even need to run local environments, et cetera. Um, and that's one of the issues you see today. Uh, EOS IO only runs in C++ and not in some uh, language like JavaScript that you could run on the browser. So it's it's quite hard to do compilation on in the browser environment, um, run contracts in the browser environment. Um, and I think I'd like to end that finally with adding in something like TypeScript support. I know there was initial work done there by some of the people in the EOSIO community, but that really, if you can if you can uh, start compiling contracts through TypeScript or JavaScript, something like that, that will really just open up EOSIO to millions of developers, which it currently is not open to. Um, so those would be my priorities if I was uh, CTO of EOSIO. Great response. It sounds you? a little bit like the uh, Sorry. developers, developers, developers roadmap, <laughs> if I can. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to stop interrupting anyone because everyone wants no, to hear no, you guys go, have go to Zach, say I'm just not, making what, not what I have to say. <laughs> Tal, I just want to go around the room. We, we have a lot of uh, field to cover today, but I want to go around the room on this topic because this is uh, good feedback for Block 1. And uh, I'm seeing in the live chat good feedback uh, for the developer audience we have today. We're up to 96 on the live stream. So thank you all for joining me. Uh, same question for you, Tal. Uh, if you could guide the roadmap and... Uh, work towards more developer adoption, what are the things lacking in EOSIO that you would improve and what would your focus be if you were uh, leading the EOSIO development? Sure. Um, I, I think I would start by, by saying that I think the best technology doesn't always win. And I would admit uh, that the innovation in the front of, of the... Uh, C++-based contracts and, and resource models and all those kind of things, I would, I would kind of admit defeat uh, because of the uh, network effect that uh, Solidity and EVM-based blockchain already has. And I would try to bring EOSIO as much as possible to be compatible with, with the existing EVM tools and, and uh, uh, th that would be my, my first priority to try to uh, tap into the existing network effect that not Ethereum uh, has, but the EVM ecosystem has. I think that that would be my my first focus. Uh, I want to I want to get back to some of that because we have the EOSIO EVM guy on this call, but I want to let uh, Ramon uh, give his response to the same question before we uh, follow up on that. Oh, thanks, Zach. So I think. Uh, I will take it a little bit at a you know ten thousand view feet view. Uh, while I think these are great ideas, we can discuss technology. Uh, and as Tal said very well, that technology is not the only thing which wins. It's a, we are talking about blockchain. We're talking about open source. We are talking about network effects. Now, while we can always improve, I would like to say that whatever we have achieved with EOSIO, what have we done to create network effect within EOS community? That is one thing which I would like uh, CT of Blockman to look at. For example. I think Syed raised a point about your studio. That was a great tool um, why Block One would not improve on it and make it a finished product or help make it a finished product. Similarly, I think community has done so much, like independently. Um, 
like when you look at Apple, Google, when they release software, like uh, developer conferences they run every year, they go handhold developers, provide additional tooling, APIs, uh, run co like, you know, conferences to help those developers to finish their products, guide them on best coding practices. This is how you make an ecosystem of developers. And with the kind of like everybody expected block one means uh, we cannot com compare block one with anybody else. Means all of them like Ethereum came organically, but also there was a lot of funding and we all expect block one. And I'm hoping that CTO of block one would have enough backing from block one in terms of funding to run the basic things about how do you bring community projects and how do you make them successful and not just focus on internal projects like a lot of focus, I think even the community is waiting for what block one will release next. Means why is that? Means that's not how you build open source or that's not how you build network effects. You need to wait, you need to say, what are the 10 projects, the best project, or not even best project, even the like smallest ideas which are not there yet. How do you handhold them and create an ecosystem of support for those projects to, to have community succeed? And as a technical leader within block one, I would like the CTO to focus on how do we make these community projects successful, work together, work in a better way, and uh, connecting them with each other, uh, making sure that creating a network effect. Uh, I would say that should be the focus. Uh, even with like, you know, we have a great technology already. Means while I, means I'm not as much of an expert on um, like EVM and stuff, which I think Tal and Shayad are in the best position to suggest those technical improvements. But even with the current technology, uh, how are we making sure that this uh, creates the network effect within the EOSIO ecosystem first, even before going and targeting other blockchains? That would be the focus for me. Right. I'm. Uh, I'm not going to ask the same question about. That might be a weird one, but I will give him a chance to respond to all of these suggestions and maybe let us know if any of these are kind of in the skunk works. They, there was a lot of ideas shared here, here. Is there anything that you're able to follow up on and kind of share any nuggets with us? So I, I don't get to say that the first thing I would do is give the VP of blockchain engineering a huge raise if I was a CTO. <laughs> okay. um, well, no, so <laughs> I think it's really interesting. Like we've got three very independent uh, perspectives that came out during that. Like Syed obviously has a very strong um, awareness of like what the developer's plight is when they're making stuff for EOSIO. And so like that's very relevant because kind of as Raman was pointing out, if you don't have those developers that understand and can build and you don't build that ecosystem, then I don't know how you build that network effect either. Um, but Tal actually said one of the more interesting things, um, which is that it's not always the best technology that wins. There are other things in play. And he brought it up in the context of EVM um, and Ethereum. And I, th I think it's, it would be a very interesting philosophical discussion. And maybe that's uh, out of what the expectation for this technical doc as to whether or not the network effect of Solidity and the EVM can be lifted from Ethereum successfully. Um, or if it is the Ethereum chain itself that that kind of uh, backs that network effect. Um, and I know we've seen EVM on lots of different blockchain products. Um, it, it has become a little more broad than, uh, than Ethereum. But I do wonder if those projects are succeeding because of that or if they're succeeding because they've built their own network effects on other things. Um, so, I mean, this is all like really great feedback. As far as like what we have in kind of the skunk works, um, you know, we're, we're developers at heart um, on the inside of block one as well. And a lot of these con uh, decisions we made in context, they made a lot of sense. Like the, the uh, asynchronous calling pattern, you know, we were, 
we were in the middle of some of the fallout on Ethereum for some of these reentrancy bugs at that time. And it seemed like a great way to solve this was to be able to reason better about, you know, what the control flow would be like amongst independent contracts. Um, and that's how we kind of came up with the, the action model we have. And I admit that it violates certain, uh, you know, expectations of a programming mind because we're all used to synchronous calls. And um, I'm still, still like on the fence as to whether or not it was a good call or a bad call as a result, because it was a paradigm shift. And I don't think we've necessarily, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if that paradigm shift was as enabling as we wanted it to be. Um, it fixed certain things, opened up other things. Um, I think, I think we totally agree that the idea that uh, we're suddenly going to see throngs of, of uh, developers come back to C++ and make smart contracts at the scale that we need for ESIO and EOS to have the global impact it should have, uh, it's probably unreasonable. Uh, so the, the high level question of how do we get, um, how do we meet developers where they are as far as uh, their understanding of programming paradigms and languages uh, is really you know, front and center as far as kind of our, our internal roadmap and what we're working towards. So um, I think a lot of that stuff will kind of start to uh, come into come into focus for the rest of the community um, soon. You know, I can't really promise any dates or anything like that, but I do think that a lot of these things are in alignment. And there's also some interesting uh, kind of new information that I've, that I've kind of picked up from, from the conversation so far. So I like it. All right, so I, I feel free, guys, to jump in after everyone's response. I think what you guys have to say is a lot uh, better than what I have to say um, because I can't relate to these topics as well as you guys. Um, but one question I have for you, Bart, is what is, in your words, what is the vision for EOS IO, and who do you see as your target customer base for EOS IO? Sure. I mean... Our vision has been for EOSIO, the product, the protocol has been uh, relatively true the entire time I've been here. You know, we are looking to build a highly capable, highly performant blockchain that can power, you know, a new level of of authenticity and integrity in business processes and people's processes the world over. One aspect of that, of course, is public blockchain networks like EOS, because uh, I think while it is it's the most frontier aspect we all you know we none of us would be on this call right now if we didn't have some shared belief that that frontier has some some promise to it this this ability to run a public uh public infrastructure even even though the actors are not necessarily all in you know aligned and maybe sometimes they're antagonistic and yet still we can kind of come to consensus both figuratively and algorithmically um I think that has a lot of power. And I think, you know, we are still very much in the early stage of what that looks like. So I, you know, I'm still very excited about, you know, what the future holds for that. So that's definitely one of our customers is these public networks. Um, but, you know, and true to kind of the vision that Dan, before he resigned, laid out in a lot of his talks, um, I don't, I don't think ESIO, the product stops there. Um, there are a lot of things that are not yet ready to fully embrace that, decentralized public access uh, chain concept that could still totally benefit from uh, this, this integrity and this authenticity. Uh, and in order to do that, uh, I think EOSIO has to kind of uh, play ball on a different, a different um, 
a different field than some of the blockchain projects that focus entirely on you know public blockchains and and their operations. And that's driven us to create you know this level of performance and to consider certain features uh, for customers that are doing you know either consortium or or kind of private chain implementations, but still want to bring some amount of integrity and auditability. So we consider we consider both of those as like you know parallel but useful concepts to have. In in the short term, I think blockchain can still very much impact and revolutionize business. In the long term, I'm really excited to see what the public blockchains have to offer the world, so to speak. And then under all of that is of course, you know, both of those have users, uh, people that are actually interacting with it, even though they don't necessarily understand the technology and they don't um, don't develop for it. Uh, and, and those are important um, customers to our software. And then of course, you know, as we're all familiar with on this call, there are other developers and that are kind of the lifeblood of of where we can go and how we get there. Because, you know, even if block one became a giant black hole sucking in all the talent that we could find as fast as we could find it um, into whatever it is that we wanted to direct them as, we still wouldn't be able to leverage the kind of, you know, workforce that's really necessary to make the change at the scale we think this can, can happen at. So it's very much that community of developers that has to be one of our, one of our primary kind of uh, personas or whatever you want to call it uh, for our customer base. And so we take them all, we take them all very seriously. And I got to tell you, like I, I have, I have a lot of faith and great things to say about our product team, but their job is super hard because balancing all those different personas and, and considering, you know, when you do something that takes from one to give to the other, like what that means and solving that puzzle is nearly impossible. It's going to be, it's going to be really hard to make everyone happy in that, um, in that relationship, but just trying to move the ball forward so that we get, you know, better support on all those fronts is, is kind of like the, the tactical side of the core vision of just making, you know, the, the best performant blockchain that can help us architect integrity into the world. Um, so, I mean, it got a little lofty at the end, but that's kind of where I see it right now. So last time you're on here, Bart, uh, we talked about the new consulting arm, the blockchain as a service, the enterprise offerings. Uh, we have Ramon on this call. Ramon, that's like your bread and butter. You've been dealing with enterprise customers for years now. Uh, what, what's the reception like when you're approaching a new customer or new potential customer and you tell them that EOSIO is the best technology, this is the one I want to use? Like, What are the initial reactions? Do you get a lot of, of, of pushback? And if you do, what kind of uh, solutions would you recommend to improve that? Sure. So I think, um, uh, let me uh, first take up uh, what Bart said in terms of, you know, public blockchain being customers for ESIO. And I'm glad to hear that that is seen as uh, an important aspect. Uh, unfortunately, I've not heard the same things uh, from uh, some other, you know, like, for example, the enterprise uh, in block one, within block one, when we talk to uh, the enterprise group and so on, which is uh, trying to help uh, get this into um, uh, like enterprise uh, EOSIO efforts. Uh, but anyway, coming back to your question, Zach, on uh, um, because what is the advertisement for EOSIO? That's a public blockchain, right? And script, everybody who comes to blockchain, they look at Ethereum is the biggest smart contract platform. Um, and then we have this uh, recently Polkadot emerging and many other smart contract uh, platforms emerging. And if there's no 
public blockchain um, like you know kind of a marketing efforts or there is no like good reputation built around public networks then it's very difficult to sell the software it's very difficult to sell eosio based solutions because uh, of course it's a great i think we can always talk about the speed of eosio it's very easy when we get to the technology level to the people who do not have any preferences eosio is not a tough sell um, and then you're talking about blockchain and bringing it doesn't matter to them which stack you use um but when we talk about people who are uh, like aware of what is going on in blockchain world who are coming from the you know the reputation angle eosio it's it's um, many times we hear anything but eosio don't even talk about eosio let's focus on something else can you do something else so this is what i think is a challenge we need to go and uh, figure out um, and again going back to bart's point uh, eos mainnet or public networks being the customers um it would be a lot of uh, help if uh, block 1 or as a technical teams there is an effort to go and uh, build some viability into that at this moment it's becoming more like a, a kind of a stepchild treatment where block 1 is focusing on its own projects and usio and i'm i'm sure means i think we keep hearing people from like block producers and like even other people they tell us how great the support is for block producers I completely understand it, and I think I'd be appreciate Block One doing all that for USIO and the growth. Means I'm not discounting that, but what I'm saying is uh, that is happening behind the closed doors. That is probably could have been done more openly. There should be probably uh, discussions happening how the issues were resolved instead of having in private groups or in some smaller groups. If it happens openly, people should see how this USIO is developing and how great the technical work is, um, which is probably happening in small private groups. Uh, and it's not creating that reputation element for eos uh, public mainnet and that is what i kind of uh, uh, feel when we go to enterprise we need to it's very difficult for us to market eos io um from that perspective and uh, recently because and to be frank last two years it was uh, hardly anything was viable other than eos io means we when we go to enterprise solutions and we say we want to scale USIO was the only scalable solution, and now with the help of Liquid Apps and what we have done with the, you know, uh, the offer solutions we have built with uh, like kind of a, um, Liquid Chains and you know connecting them to mainnet. So there are a lot of possibilities now. So USIO is still way ahead of others. Like when we talk about Polkadot, which is so popular, I don't know why because they are not even launched yet. Like there is no parachain, there is nothing which we can go and use. But still, that is the first choice right now, and uh, I think that's where. um when you talk about enterprise when you talk about how can we bring more usage of eosio which um, is probably more ready means again we can always discuss technology and saying why ethereum or solidity or all these things are better or not but in terms of readiness in terms of scaling eosio is way ahead of anybody else right now uh, in terms of what solutions are available um beyond the developer tools of course we are struggling as developers we always struggle to, to go and say how best we can make these things happen and uh, the ecosystem is not there but once you do it the solutions are are working and uh, but the challenge we face is that they say oh anything but yours that just kills the conversation and then you have to go back to drawing board and saying look let's do something else so th- those are the kind of things i would still go back and say it has to be a joint effort we cannot ignore public mainnet Uh, while saying the technology is progressing and eosio is great means because that's what is the marketing channel um for any software blockchain software because it's ultimately open source and it is uh, if you prove that you have the longest running reputed chain and a public network that is the best advertisement for enterprise to go and trust eosio and say yes i want to build on it 
Man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just let everyone <laughs> chime in. Does anyone have any commentary uh, on that? I, w- I was saying, I, I agree. I think, um, I mean, you know, even going back to what Tal said about EVM, I don't, and Bart's question, I don't think the EVM really, um, like, sure, it adds some interoperability and the fact that people can take, like, solidity contracts and can deploy it, but... I mean, you got you got to think about that. The EVM uh, ability has been on, let's say, Tron forever. It has been on other chains for a very long time. Even something like ETC, right? Like, has is just a fork of Ethereum. It has EVM capability. Just adding EVM capability and making it faster, really, which is what a lot of chains are doing now. If you look at something like. Matic as like a layer two for Ethereum, et cetera. They're all just e- faster EVMs. Um, that's that's not really going to cut it long term, I think, for a chain. Because um, one day or another, Ethereum will just catch up to that and it'll, it'll have a faster EVM too. And with the network effects, it'll roll over. So I think you really need to... Um, you really need to attack it from a different perspective, uh, from a different angle. And I think... Um, I think one of the one of the best ways, and I want to go back on this point, is one of the best ways you can do this is by tapping into a, a developer base that I think no one really has. Like I think if EOS IO could prioritize getting EOS contracts working through, let's say, like TypeScript or JavaScript, it really will open up EOS IO to millions of developers that can't do contracts anywhere. Uh, EVM is still almost like a completely new language. Like, sure, it might be, uh, you might be possible to go from JavaScript to Solidity, but you still have to learn a shit ton of new stuff. Um, now, compare that to, let's say, EOSIO, you can make contracts with JavaScript. I think that would really attract a lot of developer talent. Um, for the market itself, I think the market, like for enterprise, there, there's no other answer really than a lot of, a lot of marketing. Like, you, you need those evangelists block one funded evangelists essentially who are going out and evangelizing EOSIO to um, these fortune 500 and other companies. And um, in other ecosystems, you see like, you see this happening very readily. I mean, I'm not sure about how much of that is happening inside block one, cause I don't have visibility there, but you look at the web three foundation, they have, they have evangelists. You look at consensus, they have evangelists for Ethereum. Um, you know, Tron Foundation, et cetera, they all have evangelists that go to these enterprise and try to convince them about uh, the technology. And um, once you have these, uh, these evangelists, then you can really start to clear out some of the misconceptions, you know? Because a lot of these people that, like, let, let's say the Ramon is going to, they've just never heard of EOSIO, or if they have, it's in a negative light. Um, so if, if, if there's already a communal effort uh, or a strong enterprise effort to dispel these myths and dispel the negative connotations um, that are just starting to bud or have already formed, it really makes it much easier to create a network effect, be it in the enterprise world or outside it. Outside the enterprise world, it takes the same thing. You need you need marketing of the software essentially to... Um, to dispel the uh, the negative sentiment that has formed around it because of uh, market sentiments or uh, people seeing EOSIO as a threat initially to their own investments. Um, 
So it really, I think, needs a concerted marketing push for the software. And it might feel weird. You might think like Facebook doesn't go and market out React. Uh, other softwares don't need it. But I think in the environment that we are, that is what EOSIO needs today to succeed in the long term for enterprise and outside enterprise as well. One thing I would like to say, Syed, like I completely agree with you. And uh, I have actually found easier to hire C++ developers than uh, Solidity. And it's much easier. There are much, many more people out there who can do it. They don't need to know blockchain because you can just teach them how to write smart contract, which is uh, much easier in C++ than Solidity. Uh, on the other hand, I think when you say marketing, Facebook doesn't. Facebook does. How they do it is by supporting React developers, by solving their problems, by hosting forums. And you know, they're, they're Facebook, how the corporate world, world works, when you say Apple, Google, Facebook, the tools they build, they pay for open source developers to go and support and what issues they are facing and not uh, like, you know, hang, uh, leave them saying that, okay, you go figure out. Like, of course, initially the documentation is low on open source. It's always the case. I'm not blaming Block One because they have done an amazing job. I think documentation is improving all the time. But let's say when the community starts engaging and in 2018, when we were running the, like, you know, we had hundred plus people in Silicon Valley coming and attending EOSIO workshops. We had hardly any tool and we spent like half a day just uh, trying to set up a basic environment to develop. And that was unfortunate. But on the other, other hand, when like at that point, there was hardly any help available. Even today, as I think we are discussing all these tools, developer tools have to be improved. Um, there have to be direct outreach and special community people, which are driven by and backed by probably uh, some of the investments that are going into EOSIO development itself. Instead of developing next year EOSIO 3, we have to first make sure that EOSIO 2 developers get the support they need. And there has to be a very, very strong a network of uh, you know support engineers for that. And people will not know. If we expect people to know where to ask the question, then you're not building a great open source community. Um, the writers of the software, when you say Facebook, Google, Apple, they reach out. They reach out to developers and they actually fund the community support people to go and actually reach out to where, how they are facing problems and solving their problems rather than waiting for them to come and find the right channel. And that's what they did in initial days. That's how they made these software successful. And uh, again, I will go back to doing things in open, like showing that even if means I'm sure, means I'm sure a lot of people are not, are not even aware where to ask block one developers, uh, like where to reach out to them for help. That's why doing these things in open, doing it in like, you know, GitHub discussions, getting the, like, you know, have opening more and more forums as many places as possible. Um, I think that would help developers see those things and uh, they will know where to reach out. We, we have to reduce this block of, oh, can I really talk to block one developers? Uh, that is not there when you are uh, developing on Android or you know, iOS, there are enough community support everywhere. And uh, I think that has to be developed. And I would say that is a marketing effort, which these people did. Like when you say Facebook, whether they did, like they supported React developers, they, they went out and hired people to provide support on forums. And that is, I would say, is a form of marketing, which can be done. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I would agree. I mean, I think when you say developing in the open, I think Block One does like, I think a lot of the issue, if you look at, if you look at GitHub, a lot of the stuff that comes out is public. I, I would say it's open. It's not necessarily closed door. Even a lot of the issues that you find in like, people find issues in, let's say, Jungle Testnet, a lot of those Telegram chats end up into a GitHub issue. So I don't think it's necessarily not open from that angle. 
I think where transparency is needed is these bigger upgrades. Like you look at the, one of the things I would have liked to see, you, you look at the EOSIO spec repo thing, right? Where it's essentially, it's essentially like a watered down version of like um, improvement proposals for uh, EOSIO. Um, we saw those come out and like, it, it, it's great. It's like all these like futuristic things that could happen for EOSIO, but then as a community or as developers, you don't really see much progress on those. You have, you have no idea when they're going to be implemented. Uh, some of those have been there for over a year, for years. Um, and that's the type of clarity that developers don't like. Like they, the, even if you look at something like, uh, let's say, let's look at the React uh, um, timeline. Like when they have these improvement proposals, they'll give a target date. Like this will come in quarter three, 2020, or this is coming in quarter four, 2021. So developers have a mental model of like where the software is today, where is it going? And that clarity does not exist in EOSIO um, today. I'd love to hear Bart's uh, thoughts on that uh, too. I mean, I, I, I think you're, you're spot on. That, that level of clarity, um, you know, we don't have an external roadmap right now. So that, that level of clarity isn't available. Um, the spec repo is kind of a very interesting uh, topic to bring up, I think, and, and I won't claim that we did a great job communicating this, but I think what we were hoping is to have a little, little more of a discussion with the community on those things, instead of treating it like, uh, like you wouldn't react where this is an improvement proposal. So you can start making yourself aware of it. Your expectation is that it will change in minor ways at most before it goes live on whatever the date it is. Um, in, in terms of ESIO um, and really software development in general, um, you're always making choices. Uh, you know, we can't we can't necessarily build uh, the perfect software that does everything. So we have to kind of uh, triage and, and and like rigorously prioritize these things, and then also close some doors. Um, some of the things in the spec repo are or that kind of feature where in order to build and deploy that, we would be closing doors on other things. Um, and so we want to be able to understand, you know, where our community of developers is at uh, and make that decision somewhat in conjunction with them so that we, that we know that when we are essentially committing the community to close some doors, um, that everyone's okay with those, those doors that we're closing. And, we could get more specific about it by taking like a specific one of those spec repo topics, but that's the kind of um, that's the kind of level at which that spec repo is supposed to operate. And I think unfortunately it, it kind of failed to launch. We didn't get a whole lot of um, meaningful interaction with the community out of it. Um, and so we didn't get the information that we really needed to go forward. And that's also why some of those features have kind of hung there for a while, because we still have to make, some hard choices about them. We still don't feel like we've gotten, um, you know, a really good viewpoint about whether one decision or the other would be better accepted by the community. Um, I mean, there's, there are proposals in there for things that would dramatically affect uh, not only, you know, how you, how you buy resources on a public network, but how they're used and how they're usable. Um, and those are, you know, those are big decisions um, that I don't think, Really, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, appropriate for like the the technology tool provider to make unilaterally. 
So we do need to figure out uh, what it is, uh, how it is we are going to uh, make some of these more difficult decisions with the community so that we can progress on some of these fronts. Um, and, you know, that also traces back to the whole idea of um, there's also this question of even if we have some of these things roll out and, and make the technology innovation move forward at a, at a rapid clip, can we, can we get to where we want to go uh, both as a product team and as a community based on that technology innovation alone? Um, because, you know, believe it or not, block one has constrained resources in that we've only got so many developers, we can allocate certain things. And so we have to trade between, you know, this feature, which could kind of push the boundary of what a public network does right now. Uh, and maybe that bears fruit because it gives us some sort of like differentiation from Ethereum that they can't instantly say is like uh, coming in Ethereum 2.2 or something like that. Um, or we can kind of address some of the concerns that I feel like uh, Raman's bringing up where it's like, uh, we need to uh, go out and solve the problems for the people who are out there right now building those relationships. And those are, those aren't always the same path. Um, sometimes those are very divergent paths. Uh, and, you know, block one is not a, not, not yet perhaps, but not currently a, you know, a, a mega corporation with thousands of developers to kind of move around the map and allocate, like we're playing a game of risk. Um, we still have a very tight, cohesive, small team on this core product. Um, and so we have to make those kind of tougher choices. Do we, do we pursue some of the things? I think if you look at the, the 2.1 features that we put out, uh, you can see a pivot into focusing a little bit more on some more practical things like, um, you know, what are we going to do as far as like data scaling in the future? Can we get something that's not in RAM? What are we going to do as far as like uh, hardening your infrastructure against, you know, failures and disasters? Um, and, you know, so we're kind of in, we're kind of in that, the pendulum is swung that way right now. And I think you can see that reflected in what we've released. Um, and it, it might need to swing back. Uh, it's, it's certainly an interesting conversation to have into some of the more innovation things. Um, I don't, I don't know that we can necessarily or want to necessarily unilaterally make that decision uh, as block one. So we are, we are definitely hoping for a little bit of community feedback and participation there to help us know um, you know, not perfectly which way to go, but at least better, better map uh, the resources we have, the people that we've trained up to be able to do these kind of complex, hard things uh, with the, you know, triaged primary list of like, okay, here are the things that can be most impactful to our success as a community tomorrow uh, in three months in six months, eight months. And knowing those kind of like horizons gives us the ability to refine that internal roadmap, which we have and we're, we're working to, and maybe get it to a point where um, it becomes a little more cohesive and communicable. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Actually, um, one, of the, one of the questions that I've heard from the community often, and I guess from, um, from developers, is when is, um, what, when is Block One going to introduce uh, uh, zero knowledge primitives into uh, code, which have been around in essentially every other major blockchain for, for years now, uh, but yeah. not in USIO. So, I mean, here's an, here's an interesting, um, 
here's an interesting insight into kind of like some of the the thinking that goes on behind the scenes, particularly on that topic. Um, we have at least I'm only going to talk about two major major pathways to take on that. Um, pathway one is we can take the kind of ad hoc approach and punch host functions through, uh, you know, intrinsic functions that you can call from the WebAssembly for a lot of these algorithms, a lot of these primitives. Um, but we have to take very extra care to make sure that in doing so, we don't open up any sources of non-determinism. And each one of those things adds to kind of like the litany of protocol rules. If you were to, if you actually like make a white paper and draw out like the mathematical equation of what is consensus on ESIO, each one of those things comes with at least a paragraph, probably more like a couple pages of things that it must do. And it's easy to look at it and say like, oh, that's, that's easy. Just, you know, hit this and then like, uh, out, here, here's where the output comes. And then we look at it and we say, okay, but hold on. Like if there was a competing implementation, like what are the aliasing rules for these parameters? What happens if this is in this section of memory and it like overwrites a certain thing and what? We have to look at all that stuff. The that's the price we pay at the consensus level and at the you know, car hardening level. But the benefit there is that you go native with it, right? Like at that point, you're you've you've flipped from your kind of like safe WebAssembly sandbox into native code, and you can get really fast with that because you can access basically anything on the native host, including um, you know hardware acceleration or anything like that that we might have access to. So there's there's pros and cons to that. Uh, pretty pretty steep pros and cons. The other side of it is, you know, we've invested a lot in this concept of ESVM. Um, and we have a lot in the future that we're going to invest in terms of making that VM smarter um, and making particularly the the like JIT step, the, the compilation step that turns it into native machine code a lot smarter. Um, I hope I'm not, <laughs> hope I'm not going to make anyone mad by mentioning like, one of the unique aspects of, of you know, our contract model is that uh, we can see basically all the edges when we're doing that compilation step uh, for it. And that gives us a lot of avenues we can take that are different from what you would take as a normal compiler engineer out there in the world uh, for optimizations. Maybe. Uh, and so the question is, do we, do we then, instead of creating more uh, future cruff for ourselves by punching hole, you know, holes to the host functions um, that we then have to support forever because blockchains are forever. Um, do we instead lean into um, making EOS VM fast enough to where you can do all this in WebAssembly? And we've had people that have tried to do it in WebAssembly and uh, to various degrees, you know, succeeded. It, it's some of the early work was taking like a vanilla library off the shelf and putting it in there. Um, and that didn't always work out too well because again, we, we, we shifted the paradigm enough to where some of your expectations um, don't exactly map and particularly the expectations of how to write a performant library don't necessarily always match. So a library author might legitimately think, Oh, I know I'm going to do some upfront work when you initialize this library, pre-calculate a bunch of tables, uh, make this whole thing faster so that at runtime, in your critical path, everything's very, very, very fast and snippy. That doesn't work really well for ESIO because we're going to do that initialization step on every action. Uh, and you don't really get the amortization benefits. In fact, it can be a negative. Um, so as we started to see people do more tailored libraries for these cryptographic primitives, the performance started to, to trend up and give us this idea that like maybe 
maybe there was a more sustainable long-term way of, of getting this done. And that's currently kind of the internal debate where we are as far as the crypto primitives. How do we, how do we deliver that to you in a way that we aren't going to have to rip the rug out from under you in a year because we realize that we took the unsustainable path or the, the path that won't ever get you the performance you need to do like a full ZK Stark of whatever your application is. Um, so, I mean, it's that, <laughs> as you can tell, you hit, you hit a particularly hot topic for some of our um, internal discussions. So, but hopefully I can like peel back the layer and show you that some of these things are, are like hotly, you know, debated and, and, and have some very like, um, some very esoteric edge cases that we need to consider uh, so that we don't end up driving the protocol into a place where we can't really take it forward and succeed with it. Tal, you've been, uh, yeah, okay, you're so, about to jump in. One, yeah, sorry, one, one question, Bart. Those uh, tools that you were mentioning about determinism and, and proofing that things are deterministic, is that something that you were willing to share with the community? Um, I don't quite recall which tools I was talking about. Uh, like the, um, like, uh, making sure there's those holes you, you, you punch. Let, let's say I want to create a, 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 a side chain or a sister chain and, and punch my all my own holes. Uh, I think it would, it can be useful to, to have the exact kind, kind of, the exact same practices that uh, that you use for that process. Sure. So we don't we don't have that uh, toolified or, or uh, programified right now. That's more of the uh, um, educational component, kind of inside of block one of getting people from uh, you know new developers to blockchain technology to the expert level they need to be able to like make these surgical changes. Um, it is something that I think you know from a from a contributions to the the greater technology world that I would like for us to be able to formalize and release as, you know, courseware and things like that. But it's a super advanced topic. So um, it's, it might be a while before our, our training portal includes, you know, advanced blockchain concepts 500 that <laughs> has seven years of, of, uh, of prerequisites for, and only one person or two people on the planet are going to, are going to take, but it's, it is, it is fascinating work. I think, um, maybe the better option there is to eventually get some of these people who do this day in, day out. Um, if I can get them to stop having massive migraine headaches, uh, you know, to, to kind of come out into the world and start talking about some of these things so people can get an idea of the level of rigor we apply to some of that stuff, uh, for sure. But it's, it's, not, it's not something that we have like formal verification for um, yet. And, and, you know, in this case, I'm talking about protocol level stuff, not necessarily like uh, smart contract application level stuff um, even though they they play together it's not the not the same necessarily always the fun awkward silence um, <laughs> so we, we we get a lot of questions uh, from the community uh, and also in regards to like liquid apps because we're also doing a lot of work on interoperability and inter blockchain communication. Um, what are some of the features that were released in EOS IO 2.1 that kind of work towards that native IBC? And is anything being done as far as interoperability with other types of networks, such as the EVM-based chains? 
Um, so like I, like I kind of said, the 2.1 uh, release kind of had some more practical aspects to it. Um, the best I can say there is if you kind of squint your eyes a little bit, um, technologies like Block Vault are eventually going to play somewhat of a role, if only tangentially, in something like IBC because as we start to tighten up those guarantees um, for safety of, of block production, uh, block production. Then on some of these, you know, side chains and sister chains, you can you can reel in finality. Um, you know, public networks like the main net are always going to have this kind of trade off between um, you know public security and and finality. Uh, but some of the side chains, some of the sister chains, might not necessarily have the same. Um, the same like profile they need to deal with. So uh, being able to give them something like Block Vault, which can give them stronger guarantees uh, on block production, uh, allows them to kind of tighten those tolerances down, bring finality in. And then that just makes, uh, you know, kind of the, the layer zero, so to speak, of any IBC solution a little more performant because the biggest, the biggest kind of scaling factor in, in IBC is always going to be finality. Um, because if it's not final, uh, then all of your protocol discussions become super complex because you have to deal with forking conditions and you're talking about two competing chains or three or multiple chains that all have different forking conditions. So, you know, it's like it's almost like an unsolvable explosion of complexity if you don't wait for finality. But then again, finality creates latency. And so it's a trade-off. Um, but there's nothing else kind of directly that deals with uh, enabling... Uh, like an IBC type of thing um, in in the 2.1 uh, release. As far as like uh, enabling interoperability with other chains and stuff like that, um, I mean, we always have internal work going on on stuff like that. There's there's nothing to really talk about yet and nothing to speculate on release, but uh, it is also a hot topic for us. Silence. Don't all jump in at the same time, guys. <laughs> um, so that, that's that's another um, issue I, I've seen brought up in the community. Is it, it sounds like Block One with your internal products uh, and they're your products, but you're building a, a lot of things. And Dan's alluded to a lot of them. I mean, last April on Twitter, he was talking about how uh, there's half second finality for enterprise applications. He's currently implementing a product that utilizes four independent private chains, all communicating uh, and validating across all chains. And then we hear about voice, uh, which isn't open source and a lot of this stuff might not be open source but a lot of the community is looking towards block one to say let us see the best practices for what you guys are doing you guys know the software better than anybody are, are there any plans for block one to open source any of their multi-chain enterprise applications so that the community can learn what the best practices actually are uh, from you guys I mean, I think that's I think that's fair criticism uh, for sure, and I can't really speak to plans to open source some of the products that Dan was talking about um, when he was making those those tweets and things like that. Um, I do think, uh, you know, I do agree that these kinds of these kinds of uh, the things that we learn uh, from from doing these uh, technological push and lifts. Uh, are definitely things that would have value kind of coming out um, and into the world. 
just like, you know, we were talking about with the consensus stuff, they're advanced topics. And so I think, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's a different skill set and it's easier uh, for us on the engineering side to conceive of and test these things than it is for us to uh, kind of explain things and, and teach people. Um, so I think that's, that's some of the friction that contributes to why these things don't instantly come up and out. Um, but, you know, I, I agree. Uh, in, in the future, it would, it would be nice if some of these things could be disseminated. If, uh, but I think we still have to figure out an effective way to do that. Um, otherwise, you know, I think the alternative looks like a, like a deluge of random repos and, uh, it's like, how would, how would you as an external person ever hope to navigate that? Like on, on the surface, you could say like, well, people will pick through it and they'll find the things, but that's, that to me is kind of a, uh, like a, a misgiving. Like I, I, I don't really expect the the community to put, to work that, that hard for, for like little, little tiny pieces of it. So I would prefer to be able to like, uh, put out something more, more cohesive, easier to in, ingest and, uh, and then build upon. Um, but we're not, we're not there yet. So. I think the, the community is already kind of digging into every less detail of everything that's already out there. So I'm not sure that's, that's correct. I think everything yes, that's, uh, <clears throat> every reference will be better than uh, nothing in my opinion. Any, any reference, even if it's an undocumented, it, it's, I think it's better even to show like uh, where, where things are going, going internally and, and uh, what's being adopted and what kind of approaches, I think that that would be very helpful for the, for the entire community. And also, I would like to add to that, uh, Vartal said, like, I don't think anybody even like, um, it's very difficult to track uh, decentralized development. And I can tell you, like, uh, block one would be surprised to see how much development is going on, even though there is all this negativity around it. The EOSIO is being developed, like, though so many people are still developing. And uh, assuming that it will not be useful, I would say, is, is a big mistake from block one. Means anything you can put out there would be very, very useful. And uh, we don't want to reinvent. That's the whole point of open source. Like, nobody wants to reinvent things. You want to give ex as many examples as you can, which you have developed to be used. And that is all about like, we started with that network effect question. That's how you create network effect. If you have templates, you have uh, solutions which people can join together and form new ideas. And that's the best contribution block one technical team can give to you know the developers where means, uh, the cost of development reduces for new solutions. If you have examples, if you have uh, you know solutions out there which uh, you have built, which can be useful. Yeah, and I wouldn't even wait for examples to be like stable and finalized, we, we can expect that uh, if you're rapid, uh, rapidly prototyping things, we can expect things to be, to be you know, in alpha stages, but, uh, but I, I think it's still better than, than, uh, than uh, getting things in like uh, ch changing the roadmap every six months, like in a, in a more uh, monolithic way. Yeah, I think I, I, th I think I think if you look at even I mean we keep going back to React, but if you look at React, like everything on React starts from like zero, like everything is done in public, you know, in a way there. 
um, it goes to pre-alpha, alpha, beta, but it's done all in public. Um, I, I, I think that would be, um, yeah, I, th I think, I think it would be, it would be nice to see that in the public, you know, even if, even if, um, there's things being tested internally, um, like trade-offs, um, or different paths, as you talked about earlier, it'd be, it'd be nice to see how some of the conclusions were reached, um, of whether to go forward with a decision or not. All right. So I, I had planned to ask a bunch of EOSI 2.1 questions to Bart. We didn't really get to a lot of them, but I did want to ask one that, um, Phil from uh, Chintai had asked about it publicly on Twitter and was, was looking to get an answer. I saw someone from Block One answered uh, on the Stack Exchange, but I, I maybe want to get a more thorough answer here. So RocksDB was something that was highly anticipated and introduced in EOSIO 2.1. Um, so could you take a second to introduce what RocksDB is and then also explain when it is best used uh, in compared to Chainbase? Like what, what situations would be better to use RocksDB and what situations would be better to uh, use Chainbase? Sure, yeah. So RocksDB is a database technology um, uh, open sourced by Facebook, um, which is kind of a, uh, a fork of some database technology open sourced by Google, uh, just to trace the entire lineage. But specifically, Facebook's variant of it was meant to uh, take advantage of SSDs, uh, you know, solid state hard drives, uh, and their performance characteristics so that it would, you know, create a better effect than LevelDB, the original variant of it. Um, so from our perspective, uh, that's a very attractive um, database technology. It's meant to be used in the context of like a, a single application, um, and it backs a, a pretty large key value store, um, which is just a, a way of mapping data in a database, uh, to SSDs very efficiently, as opposed to our current baseline technology for EOSIO, which is called Chainbase, originally created by Dan Larimer, uh, which maps it by, or, or backs it with you know, physical RAM. Um, and Chainbase has a limited capacity to go outside of you know, the, the amount of physical RAM you have on your machine, on your node. Uh, but at some level, the performance starts to suffer pretty badly as the operating system starts to page things in and out. Um, we haven't really hit uh, a level, I don't think, on any real chain uh, out there in the world uh, that has kind of tipped the economics out of favor of, of, of RAM. Uh, but there will be some point when um, you know the amount of RAM you would want to put on a single node in order to process a chain would get so out of hand that it's just uh, the economics don't make sense as far as like sustaining that chain. So it's kind of a, uh, this is kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know, like a Y2K style problem for EOSIO. We know that at some point in the future, and we don't know when exactly, um, EOSIO based chains will, will exceed the kind of economic feasibility of backing everything with physical RAM, at least at the ratio that Chainbase does it right now, um, which is not to say that there's not a future RAM-based technology that might work. It's just that you know, we know we had to make progress on this. So RocksDB was kind of a uh, like a promising first attempt. There always has to be a first 
attempt when you're trying to uh, take something and and kind of fan it out into multiple options. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the work that you get in 2.1 is actually not on the surface. You can't really see it. It's all the work that happened behind the scenes to make it to where you could um, you know have multiple backing stores at all, whether it's RAM based with chain base or whether it's um, disk based with with RocksDB. Um, so I mean that's kind of like the history of like. You know, the problem we're trying at a high level, the problem we need to solve and why we were looking at RocksDB. It gave us a different, a different set of you know economic things to tweak. Now we can talk about okay, well, what's the cost of having SSD space uh, on a node instead of physical RAM? Uh, in two point one, this has come out in kind of a developer preview mode. So I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's it in its two point one form. It's ready for for prime time right now. But the the kind of thesis there is that. Um, at some point, the scale of the data that you will have on a node uh, will be more efficiently stored on an SSD um, for pricing reasons uh, than in physical RAM. And in, you can start to speculate about like what what the form of data like that would would look like. And it's probably um, applications where you're storing really large row sizes. Um, so if you think about it, like our token balances on on the EOS mainnet are very small. So Having a lot of token balances, like uh, running a digital currency or something like that, is probably not the use case that's eventually going to push you out of RAM. Um, now, you mentioned something like voice. Uh, voice is storing, you know, well, I, I actually don't know what voice is storing. They're their own application. But let's speculate that we've got some sort of document publishing platform, and they want to store the documents on the chain. You know that's going to be much bigger than a row in the database uh, for like a currency balance, and it could be you know really large, like multiple k, maybe even megs. That database is going to fill up a lot faster um, than than your token database, and that database is the one that's going to you know that that blockchain application is the one that's going to threaten your your kind of like upper upper limit of viability for a RAM based system faster. Um, so that's the kind of system. And I, you know, I don't know today if if you benchmarked it uh, because it would be very hardware dependent and all these things. Whether or not you'd get a better result at a Chainbase or RocksDB for that specific application, but that is the conceptually the kind of application that we think uh, we need to enable in the future because that's the one that we think is most likely to fall outside of the limits of, of the RAM that you can put on a node effectively. Um, and whether it's RocksDB that ends up being our final solution to that or some other database technology. Um, Again, not sure. the The first step is having any optionality there, um, and then the second step will be refining RocksDB, getting it to the point where we think it is as ready for prime time as it can be. Letting the community provide feedback. You know, here's here's the use case that worked better here and there, um, so that we can educate ourselves through kind of like that collaboration. And then maybe maybe that's it. Um, maybe we need to look at other uh, database technologies in the future and give even more configurability at that level so that people can get really precise about mapping their kind of infrastructure needs to their blockchain applications. Um, for something like the public network, like a main network, um, that presents a very interesting case of like multi-tenancy where you don't necessarily have any kind of like a cohesion on the, the use cases. Uh, you could have lots of highly varied use cases. And I think that is in itself a use case, you know, like this, this kind of like bag of everything um, is a use case. And we might need a specific database technology to get a public mainnet 
past that that gap, um, past that threshold whenever it comes. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the thinking behind uh, the RocksDB feature, where we're at right now, and I think and kind of where it goes in the future. Tal, any commentary, Mr. Uh, resources? Sure. Uh, um, is that something you uh, assume can be adopt adopted on the mainnet? Uh, um, in terms of the resource model and the trade-offs? So, I mean, right now it, it is designed to be a node-by-node -node choice. So, um, there's no there's no mechanism by which you could enforce the entire mainnet like swap from one to the other. Um, I think it is intended to be something that will be you know once it's out of like kind of the developer preview and and uh, and and as good as we can make it. I hope it's something that that can sustain the mainnet um, for now and going forward in that kind of like heterogeneous mode where some nodes are going to run it because they want to. They want to pay the cost for SSD style access, and other nodes are not going to run it because they're more comfortable with the RAM based um, backing. And then it would be kind of um, community driven and loose as to whether or not the use cases on the mainnet end up making, you know, shifting the, the node operator economics one way or the other. Like if, if they all consolidate on a use case that is really bad for chain base, then that would naturally shift nodes over to. Uh, to like a Roxy or a different technology. And we've also provided uh, a go-between so you can transition from one to the other um, using the portable snapshots seamlessly. So there's not a whole lot of lock in there and there's a lot of room for experimentation. All right, so, oh, towel's out. <laughs> so I, I, we've already gone over, uh, we had this scheduled for about an hour. Um, is there anything else, as long as everyone can stay on for an extra couple of minutes, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that any, anyone else in the call wants to bring up? So we will take that as a, oh. I think, uh, it was, I think always a great discussion. Let me just, uh, Round it up by saying, uh, technology-wise, while we can all like when you're developing, there is no end to what you would like to see. Right, you always want it to improve and give you more features. I would just like to round it up by saying that, uh, in terms of feasibility of what can be done uh, in like a, in a at least in a public blockchain space right now on EOS, uh, there is much more than any other chain today in terms of what you can scale, what you can deliver along with the community tools, like along with the, like the scalability, like even we were talking about this, um, uh, the RAM issues and all, this has been solved as a community tool, like with liquid apps, we have already productized quite a few things with VRAM and so on. So it's a, it's a matter of uh, uh, how do we uh, grow as a network, as a, you know, as a software building developers, communities. Um, I think that is one thing I would like to see uh, going forward uh, while, of course, it's a great thing to see the technology improve itself and all these discussions we had were amazing. Um, but I would say we are way, way ahead in technology. Uh, while there are some deficiencies, while there are some wish lists on what is missing, but there's still in terms of what can be done is a way, way more than what can be done on any other chain. So I would look forward to how uh, we can work together, as I said, like uh, 
Uh, there are a lot of individual teams who are spending a lot of effort and been doing it for like last two and a half years since the mainnet launch. We do need um, some way to uh, collaborate better and some forums uh, to enable those kind of activities. I would say that is something um, in this new year, I would like to see that uh, developing in some form or other and would love to hear that feedback from Block One and the rest of the community as well. All right, so usually uh, I finish off the shows. If anyone's got anything to shill, uh, now would be the time to do it. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you guys all so much uh, for joining me. I'm sure uh, the community enjoyed this discussion. I think uh, these kind of discussions should happen more frequently, both in the public and in like developer channels as well. I think uh, a, a lot has been learned uh, on the community side from the public network. And also, I'm sure uh, the Block One employees and BART have also uh, learned a lot and taken a lot in from this call. So I guess uh, on.